Boom, what's up, guys? So, this episode of the Protector Podcast, we are going to the next Protector Symposium, right? So, as you guys know, we have a full library of these Protector Symposiums that can be found at ProtectorNation.com. You join the community, first uh, social media platform for protectors, right? So, you can learn all things Protector, you know? Uh, no matter what your background, where you're from, guarantee there are things you can learn from these series of says right as you're gonna see this is another packed lineup um, another amazing time you're gonna learn blade tactics you're gonna learn uh, human trafficking things about human trafficking you're gonna learn um, things that you can do with your hands empty hand tactics that can help you win the confrontation of your life right this is what we do protect your symposium is a interdisciplinary weekend of skills where you learn from usually six or seven of the world's most elite protectors in whatever quadrant they're talking to you on. So this one is another stacked episode. We're gonna give you about 10 minutes of each presentation, right? And understand that we do the presentation on Friday, Saturday and Sunday, and sometimes even all the way to the following Monday, you get to learn from all of the different instructors, uh, out in the field, going hands-on with their disciplines. There's literally no other special event in the protection industry that is like what we do uh, for the Protector Symposium. Every single symposium is a once-in-a-lifetime training event because that synergy of instructors never comes again. We have a Protector Symposium coming up, uh, I wanna say in October, so go to protectorsymposium.com, get your tickets, come become part of the Protector family, learn the skills, hang with me, hang with us, hang with the instructors, and um, let's make the world a safer place by helping good people become more willing, capable, prepared, and yes, in times, sometimes more dangerous. Go to protectornation.com, become part of the community, and enjoy this episode as we give you some of this free, high-quality, instructional content. I wanted to make something for you because I knew I was going to be the last guy today, and I wanted to make something just to give a little bit of motivation. And I, see, I saw a couple of tears. I saw a couple of guys kind of get a little choked up. You know what I'm saying? They was like, man, that was me when I was a kid. I was helping people. And when I was growing up, I, I, I felt the need that I needed to protect people. And if you're here right now, it's because that's exactly how you feel. If you're sitting in these chairs right now, it's because you felt that when you were a little kid, you felt that growing up, and you fucking feel it right the fuck now. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm talking about. Every single person in here, every single person in here, at some point in that video, connected with that video at some point. Tell me who didn't. Something, maybe something simple, something small. And that's why you're paying the money that you are right now, getting instruction from some of these incredible instructors, and you're right here listening to me talk. I have a guy in here that came all the way from Hawaii. Where you at? Right here. He came all the way from Hawaii to come over here and listen to fucking me talk and to train with me, and I'm honored. I'm honored to be on this stage. 20 years of doing this stuff, SWAT, Marines, and all these type of different things, I've always been a, a fanatic of how the human body reacts to trauma, how the human body uh, it physically can perform during all these traumatic events. So everybody is here to better perform as your job, your career, or if something ever does happen, you're going to perform better, right? That's what you wanna do. You wanna learn how to do that. That's why you're here, that's why you're paying the money to be here, okay? Well, I'm gonna talk to you about that today. My specialty has always been 
to be the best or overall protector I could possibly be in every aspect of being a human. Foundation of every human and their capabilities. Does anybody know what the two main foundations of every human and their capabilities and how they can accomplish that? Anybody? No hands, nothing. One. Mindset. Mindset, okay. Pretty good. Survival, Survival right? You got the mindset. That, that's really important. Two basic elements. Mental capacity, the sufficient understanding and memory to comprehend the situation in which finds oneself in the nature, purpose, consequence of the act. This is an actual, how can I say, um, definition, right? In other words, being able to make and communicate your own decisions. How you talk to someone every single day, right? How smart you are, that's your mental capacity. And then we have physical capacity. Shit, sorry, I gotta stay on this side over here. Physical capacity. Physical abilities include consideration of the person's strength, vitality, fine and gross motor coordination, being able to physically accomplish a task. So there's two ways in life. You're either really fucking smart or you're a damn athlete, or you're both, or you're none. The three Fs of a protector, three different things. Now notice I didn't say martial arts, I said fighting, okay? So I really don't care what martial arts you take. Fighting is fighting, confrontation, physical confrontation, firearms, understanding the distance game. Now you're not physically, now it's more of a distance game, and fitness. And then the last thing, and the most important, mindset. Without your mind and your mindset, there's nothing. You're worthless. So let's go into it a little bit deeper. Fitness is the foundation of your physical capacity. If you don't go to the gym and stay in shape, you will not be able to do not even 50% of the tasks in life that you need to do. And if you really want to be a protector, you really want to do LE, you really want to be in the military, you really want to do EP or security work, then fitness is the foundation of all of that. Because the truth is, if you can't run, if you can't grab, if you can't pull, then what can you do physically? Nothing. So you have to have some kind of foundation of fitness. Fighting empty hand, striking, punching, kicking, elbows, knees. I don't say, what I, what I don't wanna say is I don't wanna say, oh, we're doing a cross or a jab, I don't really care. Striking is striking, meaning I'm physically going to hit this person with whatever limb I can, whether it's with your feet, with your elbows, with your ear, with your nose, I don't give a flying fuck. Hit the motherfucker. Okay, hit him, right? Stand up grappling, understanding that you have to know how to use your body for leverage, maneuver, right? That is very, very important. Everybody's here has seen the videos of people trying to fight one guy and it's three, three different people and they can't take the guy down. Okay, subpar. Ground fighting, everybody knows jujitsu, right? You gotta be able to be somewhat consistent on the ground. You have to understand that you cannot panic on the ground, and then you also want to know that you don't want to go to the ground. But if you do go to the ground, you got to be good enough to survive. And that's the goal. If you spend your life training for self-defense to hurt people, then you have to dedicate a certain amount of that training to understand on how to heal someone and help someone. That is very, very crucial. Now, you don't have to be a freaking... Uh, uh, EMT, or you don't have to be a professional guy, but learn the basics, your basic stuff, your CPR, your first aid, okay? And then the most important, oh, professional firearms, sorry about that, firearms. Must be pursuing the tools designed by man that are meant to destroy and kill, okay? What's number one? What's the first one you think that comes to your head right here? 
A gun. What kind of gun? A Glock. That's a brand. That's not a, a platform. Handgun. Pistol. Give me another one. Rifle. That's a long gun. Good. Perfect. Three main platforms. Pistol, rifle, and then a specialty weapon. So depending on whether or not you're doing this as a career, whether it's EP, whether it's security, whether it's law enforcement, military, if you have a job, you have to learn your specialty weapon, right? You got to learn a weapon that is designed for your job. And there you go. There it is right there, your specialty weapon, okay? Should be efficient in accuracy under elevated heart rate and combative with weapons hand. Now, when you train for this type of stuff, okay, if you ever actually get into a real confrontation with people, I don't mean like, eh, eh, eh. no, I mean like fucking getting punched in the face and knocking your teeth out of your face, okay? You have to learn to train that way. You have to mimic it, mimic as much as possible how the body is going to feel when you're training. Meaning if you're getting on a square range every single day and you're shooting that gun, bang, 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 that is not going to give you the same intensity, mental intensity that you're going to need the day that something really does happen. The components, three components needed to become a better protector. So we went over the things you need, right? Fighting, firearms, all that stuff, right? So now we're going to go over some of the things that you need to have to gain that. Who gave me one? Right there, green shirt. Give me one thing that you need to become a better protector in the three elements that we gave you, the three uh, things. Will. Oh, right here. Empathy. Empathy, right here. Where it is right there, training. That's one, training. Give me another one. Experience, two. Give me one more. All the way in the back. Humility? Humility? No. You have training and you have experience. There's only one more thing right there in the back. There it is right here. Knowledge. Bang, bang, bang. There it is. Training, knowledge, and experience. Those three things, when you grab the other things and you put these things together, then you're a certified badass. Right? Then you become what you want to become. The complete mentality system of real world tactical, of what I try to teach people. I, when people tell me, are you a firearms training company? I say, no, I'm not a firearms training company. I'm a human being betterment company. I want to say that one more time. I'm a human being betterment company. My goal is to make you the hardest mentally and physically mother effort that you know. And everyone here has the ability to do it. Everyone. Every single one person. So this is the pyramid of life. I call this the pyramid of life for the life triangle. And what the concept, the complete concept of real world tactical is. And here they are. Understanding the mind and body. We talked about what? Physical and mental capacity. Knowing the elements needed. Fitness, fighting, firearms, and mindset. Four elements that you need. Knowing the key components on how to become a better protector, knowledge, training, experience, the things that you need to do to become better in this line of work that we do. Understanding how the body and mind react to trauma. Very, very important because when you have trauma affect you, you need to know how it's going to affect you personally. And all those things that I had a list of, all right, you got to know, oh, that's what's happening to me? Okay, this is normal. I'm not, I'm not going crazy, okay? Exposure to adrenaline under a controlled environment. That's what I try to do to you. Who's going to be here Saturday and Sunday? Raise your hands. Awesome. It's fucking great. 
I pray for you tonight. Because it's going to be a long weekend. Okay? Exposure to a generally under controlled environment. I'm going to try to expose you to get you to the point where you do have an adrenaline dump. Okay? Now, remember this. I'm going to say this. There is no possible way, guys, that anyone can simulate a real adrenaline dump in your body when you're truly in fear for your life. Nobody. Before I get into the actual presentation, uh, I'd like to share a little bit about my background, if I may. This is my 44th year working this industry. Uh, starting off at 24 years, I finished as a staff sergeant with the Toronto Police Service. The last 10 years of my career was completely dedicated and completely focused to providing use of force, defensive tactics, training chemical weapons, the areas of uh, de-escalation skills, worked with a number of recruits, worked with a number of seasoned officers, tactical teams. Uh, actually, my tenure in policing career, I finished at the Ontario Police College. Some of you may be familiar with that. That's the second largest uh, police training facility in the world, only behind uh, Pontico, Virginia, the FBI Academy. The focus of my presentation today is protecting the protector. And let me, let me share with you what that's going to be, please. I'm very guarded sometimes with this material because I'm an expert witness. What that means is I'm able to go to court, I've testified in, in back home, north of, north of, of course, Canada, in five provinces in one territory, uh, just under 50 times. And I've been able to testify in criminal matters, litigation matters, coroner's inquests, where you're reviewing or looking at the incidents involving death and subject interaction, uh, labor, labor issues, where people's issues of work, determined, you know, employment has been terminated, et cetera. And I offer for your consideration one thing that, generally speaking, lacks, completely lacks in our culture, is providing reasonable skills that, if heaven forbid, something was to occur at work, something is to go awry, you've got something else now to fall back on. And I'm talking about a lot of things where use of force applications. I mean, my goodness, we only have to look at globally throughout the world, especially in North America, what's going on. I heard Lieutenant Grossman speak this morning about things are changing. Yes, they are, north and south of the border. And it's funny, you speak about south of the border, you're, you're talking about Mexico. We see south of the border, we're talking about the United States of America. But what I'm talking about is one common point, and that is that the adjudication factor has changed. Good people are being held much accountable to a different standard, like I've never seen before. And what would be permissible in a court of competent jurisdiction has changed. It's changed. And the accusations and the allegations and challenging your integrity, challenging your credibility has changed. There we go. Um, as a result of your actions, you are now facing criminal prosecution. And through perhaps no fault of your own, you're now suddenly facing the concept of civil litigation, or both. And at the same time, you could also experience the nightmare of termination of your employment. Share with you, I don't only act in areas of law enforcement. Back at the start of the year in January of this year, we had two security agents at a well-known Toronto hospital were both charged with criminal negligence causing death and murder with a mental health patient. We call it emotionally disturbed person, mental health patient. You know, from the moment that you were charged by the police, they were fired and left to their own devices for purposes of retaining a lawyer and be able to defend the allegations and the charges against them. That's coming up shortly in the next few months. I've been retained. I'm going to be defending one of those security officers. It's not what you heard in the paper. It's not what you read. It really needs to be explained in a much different way. Life can change in a blink. And what about the risk for incarceration? That opening videotape, out of the five incidents that were quickly rapid fire 
provided for you. I've been involved in four of them. You may have seen the last incident where you saw a youth shot, shot and uh, killed in a streetcar. Young man's name was Sammy Team. That police officer was convicted uh, for six years imprisonment. The shooting was not deemed to be clean. It was found to be unreasonable and necessary. And there's another couple of areas that we're going to offer for your consideration. So suddenly, we're talking about the nature of, of, of what you do, and you do so well for a living, but now you're facing a scrutiny. Your credibility is being challenged. Your integrity is being dragged through the mud. And it's the consequences associated to that where I believe there's a deficiency in North America where we're not supporting our own in terms of how to prepare themselves for that process, questions that might be posed to you. And I'm not going to ask anyone to raise their hands, but I'm going to offer for you to think about that there's a number of questions I'm going to pose to you in the next few minutes you may have not thought of before. What about your writing skills? No offense. Professional commentary, if I mean. Most people in law enforcement, including executive protection, are rather poor communicators. Your written documents leave a lot to be desired. But by the way, that's a learned skill. It's a skill we practice. How many people have ever had an opportunity to be involved in a scenario, a training scenario, given the opportunity to write up what your evidence would be, and then have experience in providing evidence in a mock trial? How many people have ever done that? One? Wow. Would you find out of use to be able to do so, maybe in a future workshop? And by the way, let's just say we did a training scenario. Not only do you have the experience of involving, it's one thing to sit and watch. It's another one to be involved. Tactile, right? And I'd like to give you that experience. Have that experience. Write up your notes and then experience in training. Mock cross-examination. And by the way, if sometimes you stumble or you fall, you never leave an adult to fall and to fail. Stop. Stop right now. What are you thinking, officer? What are you thinking? What are you feeling right now? Why are you having difficulty in response to your answer? What information do you require? And that's a learning process. You know most adults learn in crisis? That's how we learn. That's how we remember. Learning in crisis. Putting it all together. And now you're getting information. Would you like to have the chance to answer that question again? Most people, absolutely. Good. Boom. Training back on. And we take you through it. That is also an extension of reality-based training. All right, you see here, the officer got called for a disturbance. And this is the officer just attending. The gentleman here is well known to the police, probably about 30 criminal convictions of assault police, often known to be wearing weapons, and he threatened the officer's life in this capacity. The officer tried to escort him here. You see the arm take, the, the gentleman pushed away, and the officer said, I needed, I had to require to apply hard physical strikes, blows, punches. Yes, Your Honor, I punched him in the face. This gentleman is known to be a crack addict. He's known to, he lives with HIV. I could not, I'm a small guy. He's like five foot eight, 155, 160 pounds. The man is much bigger than me. I punched him five times, because that's what it took to get this guy on the ground to the point where I could get administered handcuffs on him. No more, no less. The officer actually even testified under oath that he was scared, quote, shitless, pardon my expression, during the process. He thought he was gonna get hurt. Well, it's not just what the officer said. It's how he said it in his defense. I'd just like to take a look here, if I may, at what the allegations were. Well, first of all, the allegations were that the use of force he used was excessive in nature. He shouldn't punch somebody. He was doing nothing to create that stimulus response in you. And by the way, you had no legal authority to punch him. That was the allegation. Also, the actions, let's talk about the, the standard or the threshold. Your actions were not reasonable and necessary in the totality of the circumstances. Didn't quite meet that bubble. Also, this officer, 
he allegedly failed to adhere to his training. Right. The soft targeting, the first three are fine, fix, and finish. If I can find you and fix you in a location, it's just a matter of time before I finish you. If I can make you stay there, eventually, even if I suck, eventually I'll come up with a solution that's lethal to you. If I'm good, it'll happen fast. If I can hold you in place, I, then I have the, the flexibility and the latitude to move anywhere I want, eventually I'll get you. That's why you can't get fixed in place. That's why you have to move. For regular stateside law enforcement, I hear people say, well, you know, I can't just get out of my vehicle and, and run off the side of the road and jump over a fence and hide behind a cow. Use some judgment and reason, okay? If the best position on an open road in the middle of nowhere is with your vehicle, then move around your vehicle and use your vehicle as best you can. The biggest chunk of metal between you and them that you possibly can that affords you the ability to, to visually and ballistically uh, engage them. While we're waiting for that, um, obviously you know who I am, Mike Pannone. Um, like Byron said, I'm Kayla's dad. First thing, you, you all were just here for Craig's, uh, Craig's presentation. He's a close personal friend of mine. I've been to his course. Um, he's just a good human being all around, outstanding instructor. I would highly recommend going, going to visit him. Get lumped up. I did it. Roll around parking lots and fight dudes 20 years younger than you on the stones. It's good for the soul, all right? And the only way that you're gonna, the only way you're gonna learn about fighting is how, fighting. Okay, when it comes to that interpersonal violence and the understanding of it, he's best in the world at it. He said, aside from my bias, because you know, love him like a brother, he's a damn good man and he's excellent at what he does. So, okay, he gave you hands on to three feet. We go past three feet. Okay, little little cool guy snap. That's just me working with a major federal agency. Um, the, um, my exterior fighting methodology has been adopted by the FBI. I audited the course, so I don't, that's not on Instagram and all the other, you know, BS. Um, I'm not a, like, kiss and tell, talk out of school guy, but they, they adopted it for a reason, okay? Because it's, logic, it's logically and experientially driven, not data-driven, okay? Data is something that you evaluate through the prism of experience. If you have no experience, then you have no prism to evaluate your data, okay? So it's kind of important. The vehicle side of it, is something that, that is very um, near and dear to me because I rolled in soft skin vehicles with captured weapons, with no air cover, um, with no QRF, with bad radios uh, in, in Iraq for two years. And so I had to learn how to work in and around those, okay? Oftentimes those vehicles were aggressed in urban areas by lone gunmen, sometimes with just a pistol. So the whole concept that people go, well, overseas doesn't count because, you know, we're not, we're not shooting machine guns and you're not shooting RPGs. And there are times when people just walk up to you and stick a pistol through the window and try and shoot you, okay? So it's applicable. And if you get away from that institutional bias that some people will have, fighting is fighting, okay? Tactics don't care about pay stubs or patches or uniform colors or genders or any of it. Fighting is fighting. If you understand it, you're, you are lethal and you're survivable. And if you don't, you're neither. Concealment, anything that completely hides someone. If I am partially concealed, what does that mean? What does partially concealed mean? Just like, what does par partial cover? What does partial cover mean? It means I can get partially shot. No, I can get completely shot. Like if, if partial cover, if it protects me from bullets, then it protects me from bullets. It's binary, it's ones and zeros, okay? If it protects me from bullets, it protects me from bullets. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Partial means what? It doesn't. So concealment means you can't see me. If you can see me, am I concealed? No. no. Okay, this is, this is, I mean, it's a little, 
tongue in cheek, but I want, you, want to get the point across, convey that definitions have to be specific. They can't be adopted or crafted in a way that favors something you're trying to argue. Then it means nothing. Then the definition means nothing, okay? Concealment, at that point, if it doesn't mean something definitive, then it means anything I want. And if it means anything I want, then, then, then you're pretty much done talking to me because I'll justify it by changing the definition, right? Look at our political process. Anyway, there you go. It's only a vehicle when it's in motion. This is important because the way that you evaluate it in your planning sequence, if you are conducting any type of, of protection operation, a vehicle, when it's in motion, is functioning in its capacity. When it's not, it is terrain. Right. It is terrain. And I'm going to talk about it again through this, but I'll, I'll put the, throw the bait out there right now. Vehicles exist, okay? Vehicles exist, okay? <clears throat> Consistent and logical locations and orientations. Think about it. How many times, how many times do you see a vehicle just sideways in the road? It's not never, but what does it tell you? When you see a vehicle just on, like, if you're driving down a residential area and there's just a vehicle sideways in the road, what does, that, what does that tell you? It tells you something generic. What is it? You shouldn't be there. There's something wrong. Okay? They don't exist in our environment. The point I make is they don't exist in our environment in, in non-structured locations and orientations. There's places where vehicles are allowed to be, and there's places where they're not supposed to be or they're not allowed to be. Here's on the tactical side. Nobody stands still. In the initial, the initial piece, video piece, that's what I was talking about. You have to move. If you don't move, okay, and you have someone that has any skills, they will pin you in place. They will pin you in place and they'll work you. All right? I've, I played sports all my life. All my life I've played sports. I've played lacrosse in college. I've wrestled. I've done jits. I've boxed. I've, done all, just, I've just been the accelerated into collision kid. Friggin' Dago from New Jersey. All right? That said, if you're, if, you're, if you're fighting in any capacity, as a wrestler, as a grappler, as a boxer, on those individual combative sports, is there any coach anywhere that tells you just to stand still and wait? Just stand there? Is there one? No. Not one. And there's a reason for that. When you give up mobility, someone will exploit your, your, the fixed nature of your position. I am static. I'm allowing you to move, and you'll exploit my position. Time exposure. All right? How long am I going to be exposed? Just, just straight up time. Three, two, one, go. How long am I going to be exposed? These are planning considerations. Time exposure. Physical exposure. How much of myself or my element is exposed at any given time and with the previous step for how long? Because they all build on each other. Security exposure. Just because I got eyes and guns in all directions, that doesn't mean I can't get attacked. I can't be shot at or aggressed in some capacity. Um, it just means that I can respond rapidly or shoot back if necessary. On the, on the protection side, just because I've got people looking all around doesn't mean somebody can't throw eggs at my principal or rocks at my principal, okay, or bags of dog shit or whatever. I don't know, all of which have happened, okay? It doesn't mean that I can stop that. It means I can respond rapidly. So as long as you understand it, control. This is a big one. How much control do you exert? When we over-control an element in the corporate environment, what do we call it? What do you call it when you over-control an element or the people you work with? Micromanagement, okay? With micromanagement becomes a rigidity of thought. People, people begin to exhibit um, symptoms of learned helplessness. They won't do anything unless they're told to do it because they have been micromanaged. If you overly control an element, then you cut out all the independent thought, 
And the independent thought is based on good judgment and good training. If you don't train them properly and they don't have good judgment, which means you didn't select them properly, then you have to overly control them. When you overly control them, you degrade their performance and you make them slow and awkward. So on the training side, especially on a detail, I've run on a bunch of details. I, like I said, I was just over in the Middle East doing it. If you are running a detail, everybody needs to know where everybody goes and everybody needs to be able to do everybody's job. And if somebody is out of place, you just fill in. You fill it, pick up the empty man, you know, the empty space, or pick up the empty man, just like in sports. Don't believe Instagram bullshit and, and YouTube and like tactical, everybody running around in multicam and freaking chest rigs and all that crap. Okay? The most dangerous people that I know, and I know some pretty freaking dangerous people, like my brother Craig. He wasn't wearing multicam, was he? He wasn't wearing multicam or plate carriers, and you'll never see him in that. He's a dangerous human being, and he's a nice guy. But the bottom line is playing dress up for videos isn't it. Understanding smart people are lethal. Okay? You're going to operate around vehicles. Your client's going to operate around vehicles. Your family's going to operate around vehicles. Your partner's going to operate around vehicles. And you individually are going to operate around vehicles. You're going someplace late at night. Okay? And there's vehicles around. It's an easy way for someone to access you in a, in a nefarious way. Be mindful of what you're going into. I'm going into a grid pattern where I can't see anything until they're right there. Be mindful of that. So starting all the way from just you to I'm protecting a client with a full detail. This is important information to know. This is, these are things that, that will affect how you maintain your own safety. Uh, a little bit about, about my, my background. Some of you that may, may not know a um, know, uh, little bit about me. Uh, first of all, the, I'm, I, I'm from Utah, but it's not a Utah accent. Okay, so I, uh, I uh, uh, grew up in New Zealand, the, the land of my father. Um, uh, my, my mother's from south, Southeast Texas, and so I've kind of got a dual uh, citizenship and nationality thing going on. Um, formative years were in New Zealand, came, came to the States as a, a teenager my, after I finished high school. And um, since that time, I've kind of moved around quite a bit, lived in California, lived in Hawaii, lived in the Philippines, lived in Brazil. So I've kind of traveled quite a bit. But, um, but that's kind of a little bit about my, my, my background. I grew up as a martial arts enthusiast. I grew up in the 80s, the, the Bruce Lee, 70s and 80s, the Bruce Lee era and the, and the uh, Kung Fu uh, movies and whatnot. And so I, I grew up just loving the martial arts. This is something that I, I, uh, I always liked. And I started martial arts training at probably 10 years old. Um, and um, that's, I never thought it would be kind of uh, become part of, of my professional persona, but um, uh, it's kind of guided a lot of where I've, I've gone through the years. In, in uh, 94 to 96, I lived in the Philippines and um, was introduced to Filipino martial arts. And the Filipino martial arts, uh, what, uh, if you're not familiar with it, um, you know, they go by the name of Kali, Eskrima, Arnis, different names, but um, all interrelated. And the, they're very weapon-centric, very focused on blades, um, uh, impact weapons. You begin your training with weapons, and then you evolve later on into um, empty hand evolutions and so on and so forth. So um, I call this trike, I, I call the, the program that I started putting together back uh, in the, in the mid early to mid 2000s, I call it Tricom because triangle combatives, um, I, was, I was drawing from three major sources as I was putting this, these programs together, which was um, uh, empty hand striking, 
empty-hand grappling and, and weapon-based um, tactics. And when I say weapon-based, that, that kind of encompasses projectile and what I would call contact weaponry. Okay, contact weaponry being um, impact and edge weapons. Okay, And a, there's a lot of um, tactics that, that should be universal. As a police academy instructor, I, I made sure when I had some influence there that the firearms instructors were being trained in the tactics of the defensive tactics instructors and vice versa. That way, everyone was teaching on the same page. There was no conflicting tactics that were being taught so that our officers would be able to be better, better prepared to handle situations that they would have to deal with. Right? And so that's where the TRICOM, um, you know, the, the name came from. So a lot of what we're, we're dealing with here, you know, it, it, it starts at the end of our OODA loop. And I'm not going to get too much into the OODA loop. I think a lot of you are probably very familiar with this. How many of you have heard of this, of the, of the term OODA loop? I'm, I'm pretty sure the fact that you're here, you're, most of you are somewhat familiar with this, uh, this whole concept, right? So, um, but the foundation of it is it's a part of the, um, of, uh, it's the ending part of my, of my loop, right? Observe, orientate, decide, and act, act being the ACT. And the act portion here, uh, I mean, and this cycle is not, it's not a, it doesn't happen once, right? If I'm in a combat situation, this is something that's continuous, right? And I'm trying to disrupt my, my enemy's OODA loop, their process, their orientation, disorient them, right? At the same time that I'm trying to institute my, my action, okay? And so this is something that's gonna be ongoing. When we get to the ACT portion, okay? And this is just kind of a, you know, typically I'm doing this stuff on a, on a, on a, on a blackboard or whiteboard or something like that. When we get into it, there's the three, I call, I call these th the ACT, I call it the three components of close combat, okay? And it's, it's kind of a, it could be considered a training guide, right? Because we analyze it and like, have I trained for this part, that part or the other? And if I haven't, maybe I've got some gaps in my personal skill set that I need to fill, right? The first per portion here is before close combat even begins, have I been successful in potentially even avoiding the things that are, that are avoidable, right? Situational awareness and the and the ability to avoid bad places, bad situations, bad people. Right? The, there's something I always tell people: that the fight that you will always survive is the one that you've been able to avoid altogether. Right? So there are things that can be avoidable. Right? And so have I? Have I? Do I have good situational awareness and have I made good decisions that'll help me to avoid bad things? Right? The general topic of what of what my portion about training is going to be um, for this for this weekend, um, something that I call close quarter force integration tactics. Okay, um, the usual, reason why I use this term. Okay, uh, and again, I kind of started using the term a long time ago. Some uh, and, and and oftentimes when I'm teaching this uh, in more recent years, I'm teaching portions of it. But what force integration tactics refers to is kind of what we went through in the ACT. Um, it's an integration of empty hand skill contact weapon skill, and firearms at extreme close quarters. Okay? Engage until the threat stops. Okay? Think counter offense, not defense. Okay? Aggression wins in life or death confrontations. A defensive mindset can be a liability in a life or death confrontation. Right? As Vince Lombardi put it best, right? the best defense is a good offense. Okay? Um, it's not a new, it's not a new idea, right? Sun Tzu, the art of war. You can prevent your opponent from defeating you through defense, but you cannot defeat him without taking the offensive, right? And the faster you can do that, the more likely you're going to survive the situation. And by, by the way, Kenny's going to be, um, helping me with some of the instruction of the weekend. Kenny's a, um, not only does he teach my, uh, the, he's a TRICOM uh, master instructor, but he's got a whole set of, um, 
uh, skills outside of his training with me, former Navy SEAL, runs an MMA school in India and in Indianapolis area. But um, so if, I'm just going to use for, for illustrative purposes, if Kenny puts his right leg forward, right, and reaches that knife out towards me. And in, in, in most knife fighting arts that um, people will train with the, with the weapon side forward, okay, which is a little bit different than a lot of empty hand orthodox type fighting arts where your dominant hand is back. And the reason of that, if you just kind of think about fencing, right? And Olympic fencing, right? Are they fencing like this or like this, right? The weapon is forward, okay? It's a single-handed edge weapon and anything else other than the weapon is just a target, okay? So it's, that's basically the idea. I don't wanna put targets forward, right? In the absence of a shield, maybe if I had a shield here and there are tactics where maybe I've got a the old leather jacket wrapped around the arm and now I've got a makeshift shield or a backpack or something, right? So maybe I do have something which would change my tactics. But in the absence of that, knife versus knife dueling, weapon side is typically trained forward, right? And if, if Kenny's reaching the weapon out to me, and th this is a very short implement, okay? This could be a, a baseball bat, right? Something a little bit longer. But if he's reaching out towards me where he cannot reach me, okay? But if his arm is reached towards me, I can, I can attack his arm, okay? There's what, what's often called generically in the Filipino martial arts, defanging the snake. Then that's what we call long range, okay? Long range fighting. Okay? It's still close, but it's in, in knife fighting, it's long range, okay? It's, he can't reach me, I can't reach his body, but his outreach arm, I can attack, right? And an edge weapon type fighting or any, even impact weapon, it's a viable thing. I can attack his arm, and take away his ability to use that defanging the snake. And it's not something that you see as much in an empty hand, um, you know, empty hand fighting, attacking the hands and the limbs, okay? So um, this is what we would call long range. Medium range is now a little bit closer where he could actually reach my torso and I can reach his, reach his with an outstretched arm, okay? So what we would call medium range, okay? Obviously this is a safer range because now it's, I'm moving in, I'm avoid, it's easier to hit and not get hit out here. At these distances, we're both just gonna be stabbing each other, okay? Right. And so it's, and, and the goal is, like I said earlier, gonna be to take his weapon out of the fight and keep my weapon in the fight. You look at the range of motion of the arm, okay? He's got an arc, pull it back as far as you can and then go across as far as you can, okay? The arc of movement. If he pulls it back as far as he can again and I go to this position, his arm is locked. I've gone to his maximum range of motion. The only way he can move that is if he moves his body back and now what we call the scale has changed. The arc of the, 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 what we call point zero on that scale has changed. So if he brings that knife back again and I go here and he moves back and I move with him, then I put that pressure on, then I've, I'm staying at that, that point of zero and at his maximum range of motion. If he comes across the body, which is preferred from my point of view, and I do the same thing, okay? And here, he can't, he can't retract the knife without moving his body. Again, if he was on the ground or against the wall, he can't move, right? That scale stays there, right? So I get here and he moves back and I move with him, okay? I'm, I'm taking his weapon momentarily out of the fight. It's a simple concept. There's some quasi-science behind it, but it's what we call point zero, right? Zero and zero. And then because there's lots of articulation in the arm, sometimes it'll collapse in here. And this would also be zero if, if it was here and I pinned it against his body, right? And then I'm doing something, getting my firearm or whatnot, and I'm pinning against the body. If he moves, he can, re he can relieve that pressure, which is why I have to have forward aggressive momentum to be able to maintain point zero. So, and, and as, as when you get, kind of get deeper into this, I would call this zero pressure one, because this is my first priority. Because here I've got the most advantageous position. 
I'm on his outside line. Two would be here in the middle, center line. Here it's, it's better than three, but he could still have some reach with that arm. Three, it's the worst of the three, but I can still work with it. But you see, he's got this arm he can use. And also the natural articulation of the limbs is inward, right? So when I'm on the outside of his arm, it's harder, for, his arms can't bend out, right? But when I'm on the inside, the arms will bend inward and I can still potentially be get, getting stabbed with that if I was, for example, like this, right? Okay, so it's, it's still better than being out here, getting, continually getting stabbed, but in priority of those three, it's one, two, and three. We'll call zero pressure one, two, and three. Okay, the, it's, so again, I'm not gonna get too much into that, right? But you can kind of understand the idea. Okay, I want to get to his maximum range of motion, right? And keep that through pressure, whether we're moving or whether he's against the wall or on the ground. Hey, real quick and dirty, I'm Dave. Uh, I'm son of a cop. My dad started the beat in Cheyenne, Wyoming, 1962. No academy. Wyatt Earp didn't go to no stinking academy. I want you to think about this, folks. It wasn't until the 1970s we began to send most American cops to an academy. For 200 years from 1776 to the 1970s, like, like Wyatt Earp, we gave a cop a gun, a badge, and kind of cut him loose. Imagine we still did that. Well, it, it's something I want you to think about. Ever greater training, ever greater preparation, ever better technology, just to stay where we are. But we are seeing something very similar happening in the protector world. All we do is cut them loose, right? But like our cops, they need a lot more than that. They need a lot more than that. And that's what this network is about. And these incredible things are happening. And, and my hat goes off to Byron in particular. He is one of the, the great minds out there. We're gonna mention Byron in a little bit. But my, uh, my background, I'm a repeat offender author. My book on killing is uh, translated to seven languages, half million copies sold in English. Uh, Google Scholars has been cited over 3,000 times in scholarly works. Here's a book in a nutshell. It's really important. Uh, people point some horrible crime. Oh, that proves mankind is a killer. No, that's, that's one in a million. Matter of fact, there's 330 million in America. That, that's one in 330 million heard about today. The hard thing to explain is not that one in a million terrible crime. The hard thing to explain is that 99.9% .9 of our citizens who go a lifetime never kill anybody or even seriously attempt to. Explain that. Divorce, infidelity, layoff, traffic accidents. In a lifetime of provocation, less than one in a thousand citizens will even seriously attempt to take a human life. Explain that. I've been on the road for 24 years, over 200 days a year. I, train, I believe I'm the only law enforcement trainer to ever be post-certified in all 50 states, train every federal agency. And it may come to your attention that uh, our law enforcement is under attack across America. Now, I just want you to have some perspective on that attack on our law enforcement. Now, article after article about me that never mentions my books, never mentions my credentials. What kind of journalism is that? And when you hear these attacks on our cops, I want you to just take it with a grain of salt. And I'm going to show you what this means to us on the big scale. But somehow they're offended by the idea of calling you the white blood cells. What, what does that make them? They're offended. And they're offended by the idea that we might be sheepdogs. You understand? 
Well, there's people out there that say, no, no, I, I'm going to be the shepherd. Well, the shepherd decides who's lamb chops and who's mutton. The shepherd shears you once a year. The shepherd knows when you're born and knows when you die. I know who my shepherd is. I'm a little concerned about people who say they're the shepherd. You understand? I'm just a lowly sheepdog. I'm just another member of the flock. Shepherd is a person. The sheep are critters. You understand? And people say they're the shepherd. I'm just another critter, but I'm a sheepdog. And the protector DNA is woven into who I am. Between the 1960s and the 1990s, medical technology cut murder to a third or a quarter of what would otherwise be. Now think about that. Just between the 60s and the 90s, medical technology cut the murder rate to a quarter of what it would otherwise be. If we compare minimum wage between the 90s and the 60s, we understand it's not a fair comparison unless you allow for inflation, right? If we compare the murder rates, we're lying. If we don't allow for medical technology, with me on that? And the leaps and bounds of life-saving technology since the 1990s are astounding. So what I need you to understand, and this is terribly important, I need you to realize that between the 60s and the 90s, medical technology cut the murder rate to somewhere between a, a fifth or a tenth of, of what it would otherwise be. So to compare the murder rate between now and the 60s, multiplied by a factor of about 10. Are you with me? All right, so here's the deal. In 2020, the murder rate increased 30%. I want you to wrap your mind around that. A 30% increase in the murder rate in the 2020s, in 2020. The biggest annual increase we ever saw was 12% in the 1960s. So it is, it is up to three times greater than we've ever seen before, right? Wrong. Folks, half the cost of a modern school building goes into fire code. Fire sprinkler system under pressure for the lifetime of the building. Electrical system brought up to fire code. Double the electrical system run wiring to every fire exit, every fire alarm. Fireproof material for the structure of the building versus the cheapest alternative. You get the idea. Half the cost of a building goes into fire code. We're not even talking about the fire hydrants and that huge system of pipes that runs through our civilization. We're not even talking about the fire alarm and a separate network of, of communication runs through our whole civilization. Half the cost of building goes in a fire code. What have we done to prepare for violence? We'll put a sign out front that says no guns allowed. Bam! I will never tell you to disobey the law. But I hope when you see a sign that says no guns allowed, you give it the disrespect that it deserves. You understand? Anybody puts a sign up like that and thinks it'll make them safe are not rational. You no longer need to expend any energy on them. Just move on and do your job. Don't bother trying to argue with them. They're totally sold out to an irrational argument. The bad guy is looking for the place where people can't shoot back. The sign that says no guns allowed means unarmed victim zone. And that's where they're most likely to attack. But folks, wrap your mind around this. The wheel is coming unglued. The wheels are coming off the bus. 
Cops are being decimated. Folks, in, 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 recruiting is down, retention is down. Practically every agency in America is down 10%, 20%, 30% of the numbers. Now, what that means is you have job security. The world desperately needs what you have to give. The gap between the haves and the have-nots grows ever bigger. The police are the protector for the poor man. The police are the protector for the impoverished. The people getting hurt by attacking the police are not the rich people. The people getting hurt are the poor people who are trying to hold their lives together on minimum wage, you understand? The police are their white blood cells. The police are their protectors. The wealthy can afford to hire you, and they should, and they will. And you are part of a growth industry. And the world desperately needs what you have to give. Now, I am my family's secret service. I'm armed and I'm trained. And you need to recognize that we live in a world, in a nation, and I told you, Pablo's wired all the way down to Argentina from from South America right on up to Canada, Pablo's wired with our protectors. In America, we can be our own protectors. Now, Ronald Reagan, while he was president, had a loaded revolver in his briefcase all the time. And folks, uh, my book, uh, Why Mommy Carries a Gun, has got famous sheepdogs throughout history. And one of them, all of these folks are, are depicted as sheepdogs, but one of them, is Eleanor Roosevelt, the president's wife during World War II. She refused to have the Secret Service drive her around. She wanted to be on her own. So they said, at least carry a gun and be trained. They gave the vice president's wife a gun. They trained her. And for the rest of her life, right on up to her 60s, she carried a gun. She had a gun permit, and she carried a gun. She's a sheepdog, do you understand? Ronald Reagan, he's his own Secret Service. She is her own Secret Service. We live in a nation where we can do that. And for those who want to do it, you need to respect that. And tell them, if you're going to do it, let's do it right. Let's get you trained. Let's give you the tools. If you're not up to standard, we'll get you up to standard. We'll send you to the people who will get you up to standard. Carrying a guitar does not make you a musician. Carrying a gun does not make you a protector. Do you understand? You need to have the training that goes with it. So push that envelope. Understand the authority that we have, the tools that we have in this nation that other people don't have. Understand that sign out front that says no guns allowed is where the bad guys are going. They're trying to seek the place where people can't shoot back. Let me, let me start off, and if you don't know who I am, uh, I'll give you a brief thumbnail and then expand on that. My name is Craig Douglas. I'm a retired sheriff's deputy from South Mississippi. I did a total of uh, 21 years on the job. The vast majority of that time was spent as a, a drug cop, a SWAT cop, or both simultaneously. I retired in 2011 to do training full-time. This is my 10th year of doing training. This is my 19th year of doing training under the brand ShivWorks globally. I teach in 47 states, 11 countries outside of the U.S., uh, all four branches of the U.S. military. 
five federal law enforcement agencies, and I've held a contract within a small section of the intelligence community for the past six years. So I was a, a childhood martial artist. I, uh, was the, uh, I was the skinny kid with the birthmark. And one day I came home um, after a bunch of kids beat me up. I was five years old, 1973. And uh, they had gotten me down, mounted me on the back. One kid grabbed my head and in the gravel started rubbing my face in the gravel to get the birthmark off, to get the red stuff off. And I was humiliated and ashamed. And my grandfather, against my mother's wishes, said, fuck that. He's going to learn how to fight. He's going to learn how to take care of himself. And um, we're not going to let him be a victim. I, I started, besides my childhood teaching martial arts, I started teaching physical skills, motor skills, and tactics to a professional armed population that I, I discovered within a few years was fairly ambivalent and fairly disinterested because the enthusiasts were all martial arts nerds like me, and there were, there were a few of them, but they were, kind of, they were kind of rare compared to the rank and file. So um, I did that for a long time, learned a lot about teaching that population, and it's still a population I serve to this day. Martial education and what I'd learned in the dojo and what was happening in real world environments, both as a correctional officer and as a police officer on the street. I had been studying every trendy, cutting edge martial art that was out there, every secret system. You know, back when uh, nobody really knew what Filipino arts were in the 80s, right? What, what Kali, Salat, and Eskrima, Muay Thai, all those systems. I, I did a deep dive in all that stuff. And I, I started seeing with all these martial arts some, some pretty significant failures, okay, that I had that, that, that cascaded more into the next part of my career. One of the most notable was the, the one time I had an event where I had to deal with a knife uh, empty-handed. I remember this distinctly. I uh, got a call for service. It was a, a medical call, medical emergency, and I came in, uniform patrol deputy, Pulled up and a kid answered the door and he was like, he's back here. So I followed the kid, went down a hallway, walked into a back bedroom and see uh, a huge guy, a massive guy in a walk-in closet. And there's a woman, he's down, he's face down, his head is to my right and his feet are to my left. And a woman is on his left side trying to roll him up and pick him up. And she's crying and she's saying, get up, get up. So immediately between the call that was put out, uh, a medical emergency and, and seeing her and the kid and everything, my first thought is, this guy's had a heart attack or something like that. So I, uh, I'm like, hey, ma'am, police, I'm here. Step back, get in the closet with her, took a knee, checked his elbow just because I was trying to roll him over, started pulling towards me. And he reared up, uh, and I had his elbow, and he had a nine-inch fillet knife in his hand. And um, the medical emergency, as it turned out, 
was a suicide attempt, and he had opened himself up from his wrist to his elbow, from his wrist to his elbow. Now, I was probably 145 pounds at the time. This guy, I think, dressed out somewhere around 310, big guy. And here I am with him covered in blood. Uh, immediately, I just locked two hands onto the blade, kind of collapsed my weight on top of him. She's in there with him in this closet with a bunch of shoe boxes and clothes. And it was about a four-minute fight. And everything I had learned as far as disarming someone with a knife, all that shit went out the window. Nothing worked. Every strip, every disarm, every wrist bend, none of that worked. What worked was me locking my elbows out and steering myself around the knife long enough for another deputy to show up, see what was going on. He didn't want to make a contact shot. He was trying to figure out what to do, didn't want to shoot me. Came in with a Motorola and cracked that guy on the head three or four times. And that finally made him stop. We dogpiled him, cuffed him, and that was it. So that was, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a, a moment where I'm like, huh, <laughs> the martial arts aren't working real well for me, right? What did I learn as a practitioner? I learned that all martial arts are bullshit. They are. All of them. Every single one of them. They're all bullshit. And violence, close range, interpersonal violence is messy and more often than not, the training paradigm does not affect, does not reflect reality. Criminal assaults are generally driven by unequal initiative and disproportional armament. And those are two core themes that we usually don't see in training. What do I mean by unequal initiative? Well, if you think about any self-defense skill that you're gonna train for the day, let's take striking for example. How do you usually train that? Well, usually what happens is you get with a buddy and you hold up tie pads or focus mitts and your bro works ones, twos, and things like that. Or if you want to make the training a little bit more interactive, maybe you glove up, he gloves up, you put a mouthpiece in, buddy, you ready? And you start moving around each other. And it's an equal initiative event. Both people know they're in play at the same time, and they agree to start on the same cue. I never had a robbery start that way. I never had anybody glove up, put a mouthpiece in. I never had Big John say, let's get it on, okay? There was always something else I was preoccupied with, such as having to buy drugs, right? And uh, most dope deals go pretty easy, okay? And when they don't, you know, you're usually taken by surprise. If you're walking around in an area that would support a crime against a person more than another, like a parking garage, and you get a phone call from your significant other, and you start looking at the phone or a text, and your vision narrows, and you've got this guy skulking around in the shadows, he sees your narrow visual focus, sneaks up, sticks a gun in your ribs. And even as a CCW guy, you may have a gun, but it's probably up under at least one layer of clothing, maybe multiple. 
You've been taken by surprise. Your hands are occupied. So what does that gunfight look like? Cars, as I'm going to teach you this weekend, are interesting novel specs. A car is essentially a cube. It's not 1D space. It's 3D space. And because it's 3D space, there are things you can do in a car. There are advantages you can exploit in a vehicle that simply don't exist outside of the car. And it turns a lot of orthodox grappling in particular on its head, such as the hierarchy of positions changes. Now, when I'm in a car and I get my back taken, in mat space, that's anathema. If you get your back taken, you're screwed, right? But because <clears throat> I can brace my feet on the adjacent door and drive somebody like I'm deadlifting back into the B pillar and literally break their ribs and smash them in, all of a sudden now just getting your back taken really doesn't matter. The novelty <clears throat> of a particular environment and the environments that I was buying drugs in had never, ever been expressed to me in a training environment. I'm a big dude. You're <laughs> fighting in cars. You're, you're thick. <laughs> you were thick. With thick with two C's. Right, right. <laughs> so how does, what are the advantages and disadvantages of me be, having to fight a vehicle? So uh, really none, really none. And there's a lot more, that's a great question, man. There's a lot more space in a car than you would think. Here's the problem with most people that attempt to fight in cars. They fight in cars the same way they drive them. Their butt's in the seat, their back is against the seat, and they do this kind of thing, <laughs> all right? I do that, right? So I'm gonna teach you how to move in the car. I'm gonna teach you how to take space up. I'm gonna teach you how to get your back on the headline or how to get your foot in the keyboard ignition, how to drive that guy break the seat and smash him into the B-pillar. And I'm going to show you, um, wow, there's a lot more room in there than what you think. I was teaching in Canada one year, and they had a smart car. And I had these two, literally, they're brothers, twins, 300 pounds apiece in the smart car. And man, the whole car, <laughs> the, the car is shaking. And it was shaking. I'm like, should I go and knock? And if it's shaking, well, actually, I should. You know, so, but the car looked like it was breathing, literally. The car was, wow, I'm like, wow, a smart car is going to explode right here on the ranch. But they were getting after it, man. So, so here's the thing. Big guys, it's no different than smaller guys. In fact, as a big guy, you can occupy more space. And as I'm going to teach you, occupying space is key. And because it's 3D, and with the way I'm gonna teach you how to wedge and apply base and pressure to all things like the dashboard, the headliner, uh, the, 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 the headrest on the seat, big guys have no disadvantage in a car compared to smaller guys. Oh man, this is awesome. I just wanna welcome all of you. Um, you know, I've dreamt of this, this moment, you know, by the grace of God, you know, I, I, just, I just thank him for the, ability to be able to manifest these things, to bring these things into our reality, you know, uh, from, you know, the conceptual worlds we live in into this, into the digital world that we're all connected by, and then here into this 
physical realm where we can join each other. You know, there's so many things in the world that, uh, especially in an age of social media that are just not real, you know. I had a buddy say to me, you know, you're gonna run out of content, slow down. And I'm like, no, I'm just being myself, you know. Um, and I say all that to say, to really preface the fact that I love you guys. Like, I want you all to know that, you know, the support you show on social media, um, your heart to be here, your heart to uh, spend your money, and most importantly, your time, which is God's currency, to be here because you value uh, the art of protection, you value the capability of protection to be able to be as advertised or just to be ready and prepared to do the one thing that can protect, the one thing that can empower, the one thing that um, makes it so that everything else that you love and that you know of in this world can exist in safety. You're the people who value that enough to be here, to press into the chaos, the darkness. You know, we're gonna train. We're gonna train. This is gonna be good. You're gonna experience some chaos. But as protectors, what do we do? You know, we, we lean into that chaos every single day so that if we're tested, that we're not found wanting. We're found righteous in right standing with our clients, with our loved ones, with each other, with those people who link arms with us. We're found in right standing for, with humanity, you know? So the protector DNA is a term that, you know, after doing these interviews, starting the Executive Protection Lifestyle podcast and then um, into the protector podcast and interviewing some of the most amazing protectors on the planet, and the list goes on and on and on of, of folks out there that I just hope to be able to speak to and canonize and crystallize their experiences in a way that we can all benefit from them, right? It's become apparent to me that there are some people that are just designed to be protectors, you know? Almost no matter what you be doing, you know, if you're, 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 you may work at a bank, you may be a painter, you may be a first responder, you may be a professional protector, but I find it so, con so consistent that there are folks that are just, hey, I'm a protector, I've just always been. You know, I'm asking, you know, Navy SEAL, Delta Force guy, who, and they're like, you know, I've just always really been a protector. When we were on the playground, somebody tried to mess with my boy, you know, and they could mess with me, but they couldn't mess with my boy because it was on, you know what I'm saying, once they mess with somebody else. Um, so I believe there are some of us with the protector DNA and dialing that up and going from a micro understanding of some of us who may have this gene, you know, and may live this life because it's just organic. Like for me, if, if I wasn't doing this, I'd be doing something, but it would, it would have to do with protection. But dialing that out, there are many of us here for many different reasons. Some of us realize that becoming, you know, um, that we need to be able to do the things protectors can do because we have people that depend on us. Some of us have had an experience where we're like, you know what, never again, and or saw someone else's experience. And that may have brought you here, you know? But in humanity, this is a brotherhood. I see protectors as the white blood cells in this, in this world. And in the body of humanity, we are the protector DNA on the planet right now for the world. And so we need to train ourselves, do the things we're doing, 
invite others to the brand because we're the white blood cells. We are the protector DNA for humanity here right now. So our mission here is simple. There was a time when these images would be weird to us, but now, unfortunately, we're all desensitized to it. This is just the reality of the world we live in now. You know, the reality simply is human trafficking is one of, if not the biggest, one of the biggest industries in the world, um, what, probably the biggest on the black market. I interviewed an amazing young lady on the podcast uh, a few months ago. Uh, she was of Vietnamese descent, took one look at her. We were talking about human trafficking and her experience with that. And, you know, instinctively, I was like, well, you know, maybe back home, you know, before she came over here, she, she had an experience with trafficking and she escaped to the United States and then she was safe. And she, at the very beginning of the interview, uh, she was like, no, she was like, I grew up in California. I went to Irvine for college and in Irvine, California, I was abducted and I was trafficked and I only survived because first responders kicked that door in and got me out of there. So this isn't one of those, it'll never happen to me. It's not one of those, this only happens other places. I believe we are the largest consumers of this dark market good. So human trafficking, huge problem. We're gonna show you some, connect you with some companies that, can, that are doing some really amazing things about it. Um, some people I really believe in and that are the real deal because there are some companies out there um, that aren't. Active human threats, active shooters, you know, vehicle-borne attacks, stabbings, these things are happening all the time. You know, a lot of my faith-based clients, uh, insurance is almost requiring them to have legitimate security, right? Uh, theft of identity, this is happening all the time. I mean, it's probably happened to every single one of us at least once. These things are just organic riots. These things are happening all the time. We all know it. I don't have to prove it. Our mission is very, very simple. We think about starting with why and, and, and really thinking about the, the, the foundation and genesis for this movement and for what I'm trying to contribute by the grace of God and for what we're here, we're all trying to get in the world. We wanna make the world a safer place by helping good people become more dangerous. We want good people to be more willing, capable, and prepared. We want evil to fear good, and it does, but we wanna make sure, you know, you know what I mean? Uh, light expels the darkness. It's not enough just to be good. We must be formidable. Our mission, we want good people to become more dangerous. We wanna increase on-scene accountability in the world. These body counts that are in the double digits because of one shooter, it's unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable, okay? So we wanna strengthen good people around the world, make this place safer for all of us. Boom, quick shout out to our sponsor, Staccato. My first pistol sponsor, um, I've been sponsored by a lot of companies, right, over the years, but when it comes to pistol, that's my bread and butter. Pistol's something I believe in, you know, I'm a competitive shooter, you know, we're shooting anywhere from, you know, 800 rounds a month type of thing, right? So Staccato, being what I believe, is one of, if not the most complete handguns you can put in your hand. Um, it's got every component that a handgun could have, should have, 
Uh, they're actually extremely dependable now that they've made some changes. And these things are straight up tack drivers. If you're looking for a pistol that will do as much of the work for you as a piece of hardware can, obviously you have to have the, the, the marksmanship and all the different things, but different guns perform at different levels. And I wanna say that Staccato is one of by far, for sure, take it from a competitive shooter, we're shooting the highest volumes of rounds constantly right now, not used to have a background guy, but like right now, when you go shoot, you're gonna see certain brands. Staccato is one of, if not the highest performing firearm that is both CCW, duty ready, and also competitive ready. So I wanna give them a shout out if you guys are looking for a good handgun to build your skills on top of, go check out Staccato, much love and respect. Boom. Yo, what up? I hope you guys really enjoyed that episode. Hey, listen, in order to get more out of the brand, I want to encourage you to go join us on our social media platforms and join us at protectornation.com. We post different types of content on our different platforms at different times. Uh, you'll get blog posts, you'll get videos, you'll get real world combat engagements and things like that. So stay plugged in in order to get the most out of the brand. In order to support us, also go to protectornation.com and buy something or join forces with me on Patreon. You'll scroll down the homepage and you'll see the link. Uh, anything you can give counts, you know, think about whatever you would lose in your cushions or like spend on McDonald's this month, five bucks a month, whatever it is. Uh, that helps, that helps us make the world a better place by making good people dangerous. Anyways, this is Byron Rogers, protector by nature and by trade. And I'll see you on the next piece of content, whether it's a video or podcast out.